Thank you, Wanda, for uh, your words that you shared. It did a great job. Uh, Jesus and Moses were playing golf one day. Work with me on this one, if you will. Uh, they're playing golf one day, and they came to a par three. Uh, and as they got up at the par three, Jesus, talking to Moses, said, you know, Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods uses a seven iron on this hole. Um, and, and so he tees up the ball and hits it, and right in front of the, the, the green was a, a fairly large lake, and his shot comes up about five yards short, lands right in the water. Jesus marches down, walks across the water, uh, reaches in and picks up the ball and comes back to, to tee. And, and uh, Moses said, you need to use a six iron. It's, seven iron can't get there. Jesus says, Tiger Woods uses a seven iron. I'm going to hit a seven iron. So he tees it up again, hits it one a little, a little further, but came up about two yards short, landed in the water. Jesus walked down and was walking across the water when the group that was playing behind them came up behind them. And the guy looked down and he saw Jesus walking across the water. He says, who does that... Who's that guy think he is? Jesus Christ? And Moses responded, no, he thinks he's Tiger Woods. <laughs> which, which one would you, which one would you do? Which one would you put in your, uh, in your pocket? If you could do, if you could do any miracle, if you had like a miracle card and it was good for one use and, and you could pull that miracle card out of your pocket whenever you needed it and use it one time, which would it be? Would you change the water into wine? If that's the one you would use, please talk to me because we need to talk about some issues probably. But um, uh, but maybe you're trying, you know, if you're a, a, a new groom and you're trying to impress the father-in-law who ran out of wine at the reception, maybe maybe I would let you do that and that wouldn't be so bad. Maybe you would calm the storm. I, I bet there's times when you as parents have uh, have a kid that's awake at night in a, in a loud storm and, and they're they're scared to death. You know, you might pull that out, Lord, just stop the storm, be calm, and, and it would stop. Maybe it would be, maybe it would be feeding the thousands. Uh, I'm not sure when you'd use that, but some of you guys have uh, daughters, and uh, when, when they choose to get married and you see the cost of re- the reception, you know, you might pull out the feed the thousands and, uh, and show up with a steak and one baked potato and, and a salad and change that into feeding all the people with leftovers. Uh, you know, maybe you would do that. I, I I would imagine we would hold it for other things. Giving someone sight, uh, a sick child, being able to touch them and, and make them well again, or 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 quite. Let's just be honest. I, it's the one I would hold it for. You know, if a loved one passed away. I'd like to at least just at one time be able to use that and bring them back to life. Uh, but but there's a miracle that's recorded for us in the Gospel of Mark, uh, and. In comparison to most of those others, it really pales. In fact, it uh, it's not on the same level at all. Most of Jesus' miracles were done for a purpose. Someone benefited for it. Uh, and oftentimes, the motivating factor that Jesus had was compassion. Uh, he would see a need. He would see someone that was hurting. And the miracle was done because he cared. And uh, and But this miracle is is a little bit different than that. If you have your Bibles... Turn to Mark chapter 6. There's good news. Jesus walks on water. Now, the question is why? Why did he walk on water? Let's, let's look at that story. Um, let's read that story, and then we'll talk a, talk a little bit about this miracle, or at least about this story. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida 
while he dismissed the crowd. A little context, we preached on the, the passage right before this two weeks ago when Jesus fed the 5,000. So right after feeding the 5,000, this is what takes, takes place. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, which is about 3 a.m., 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., so early, early in the morning, about, uh, about the fourth watch of the night, uh, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by and when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed in the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. When when, when you read this passage, uh, I wonder if the question comes up to you that it that, that comes up with me. Now, now the miracle is cool. Walking on water is cool. Uh, it, it's one of the, the, the miracles, man, I wish I was there or I wish I had that power. Have any of you, uh, any of you go to see the movie The Shack? Any of you guys go see that? Real couple people? Yeah. There, there's a scene in it, uh, when, when Jesus is with, I think Mac is the, the, the character and they, they walk on water. Jesus is walking on water and, and they both walk on water and then one favorite scenes is they come running back across, they race across the lake. It would be cool if you could walk on, on water. But, why? Two wise. Why did Jesus, why did he walk on water? What was the purpose there? Really, what was the real idea behind that? And, and why is this recorded for us? Most of, most of Jesus' miracles, uh, give us some understanding about who he was and, and 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 that he cared for people, but as we look a little closer, we'll find that in this story, Jesus walking on the water was really a footnote in the story, not the real story. So, if you have your Bible, stay with me there in chapter six. I'm going to look at two things here this morning as we look deeper. Here's the first thing: Jesus needed rest. Do you remember as we told this story a couple of weeks ago that it, that that Jesus had fed the 5,000. And right before that, his disciples had just got back from a time of ministry. Jesus had sent his disciples out two by two. They returned, and, and they were talking about their, all the stuff that had happened. And, and Jesus said, let's get in a boat, and let's go to a solitary place so we can get some rest. Let's go to a solitary place to get rest. Unfortunately, as they were going to that solitary place, people saw them. When they landed, all these people showed up. And, and eventually Jesus taught them and, uh, and, and, uh, and fed the, fed the group. At least 5,000 men, probably a total of 10,000, uh, people were there. But here's the point. The rest that Jesus had been looking for. He said, let's go to a solitary place and rest. The rest had not happened yet. The, the crowds had followed him and Jesus had taught all day. And then at the, as the day came to an end, the disciples pointed out that they needed to be fed and Jesus fed them. Uh, and, and as this story starts, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, get in the boat and go to Bethsaida and, uh, go on ahead of me. In other words, he says, I'll meet you there. And so the, so as a backdrop to this story, we, we have to understand Jesus was still needing rest. 
he still hadn't had the rest that he desired. Now, there was a temptation here. We know from Scripture that Jesus was often tempted. He spent 40 days in the desert and Satan tempted him and then he left him and would come back for more opportune time. And there was a temptation here uh, to do a couple things. Jesus could have been tempted to resume teaching. Uh, all this crowd was fed. Uh, they, they were there sitting on the ground. After this all happened, Jesus could have been tempted to say, you know what, Let's, let me talk to him a little bit more. Remember back at the start of that story when he saw the people there, Jesus got out of the boat and he said this, uh, or the scripture says that he was, he was moved with compassion because they were sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep who were, who were without, they were like lost lambs. And Jesus wanted to reach out to them. Uh, about a mile from my house, as you, as you go out from my house into the country, uh, there's a farmer that has some sheep. And, and I walk three, four, five times a week. Uh, I, I walk out that road and, and back. And so every time I do, I go by this, this little, uh, are sheep flocks or herds? Are they a flock or herd? Flock? Okay. This flock of sheep. So I want to get that, or, or a bunch of sheep, whichever one's right. The, but there's this bunch of sheep. And, and a few days ago, I was walking out and, and I always just kind of look at them. And really, when I see them, it just makes me think Bible stuff. Cause, you know, you, you think about, well, you know, David and, you know, being a shepherd over the sheep. And, and this particular day, I was walking by these sheep and, and I noticed two of them. They, they were standing there and, and it, they looked like a couple little boys that were pushing and shoving. Cause one of the lambs was trying to get some grass that was underneath the other lamb. And so it had its head down, stuck under this other guy, trying to eat the grass that was right. He wanted that blade of grass. And so this other lamb was sitting there, and he was kind of hipping him and like, you know, and turn around trying to bite at him and trying to get him to move. And, and as I watched that, I thought, man, what stupid animals. First thing I thought, dude, lamb number one, there's grass all around. It's all green. It all about this tall. Just pick another blade of grass. And then I thought, second lamb, you don't like the guy bumping you? Move. There's grass all around for you too. And I'm thinking, man, those are stupid animals. Now, Scripture doesn't say that Jesus saw them as stupid animals, but he, he got out and they were, they were lambs. Not all that different than these two lambs I saw. They were lost. So Jesus, when he saw them, was moved with compassion because they needed help. And so he could have been tempted he could have been tempted uh, to resume teaching. Man, these guys need to hear about God's love. These guys need to hear about forgiveness. These guys need to hear that I have a message. These guys need to hear the hope. These guys need to have truth spoken in. He, he could have saw them after they'd all been fed, even though he hadn't rested yet. He could have said, man, I need to keep on teaching, thy, teaching them. He could have been tempted to resume teaching. But there comes a time, now, now catch this, and I'll explain it a little bit deeper later. There comes a time when rest trumps teaching. There's a time when getting rest trumps teaching. Now, now, now be careful. I don't want you to misquote me on this, and I don't want you to take this and run too far. But there is a time, and I will define rest a little bit later on. There is a time when rest is more important than service, when rest is more important than volunteering, then, then maybe rest is more important than another Bible study or a, another Christian concert or a conference. Now, don't run too far. Rest may be more important than another church service. 
Jesus might have been tempted uh, to resume teaching. He also might have been tempted to relive. Uh, he might have been tempted to relive the moment. They, they had just had this exciting time where, where, where all these people sat down, they took five loaves and two little fish and just started handing it out and everyone was fed, 12 baskets left over. There, there would have been temptation to dismiss, dismiss everyone, hey guys, go home, and then sit around and talk about how exciting that was. Uh, in uh, 2002, my, my youngest son, Caleb, played on uh, uh, the eight-man uh, football championship team at DeKalb. Uh, so that November day, we, we played that afternoon at the stadium, Spratt Stadium there in, uh, at Missouri Western, and, uh, and, and got to watch his team, the team that he played on, win the state championship. He wasn't the best player, but he, he played on offense and defense both, and, and it was an exciting time. But, but it was going to be a really cool day. That afternoon was a state game. That night, we were going to go to, uh, to Rita's, uh, Banks Christmas dinner. They, they were having it early that year. It was the only date that worked out. And I always loved going to her Christmas bank party because we'd go to Kansas City and we always went to some fancy restaurant that I would never go to because it was too expensive. And, uh, that year we were going to, I don't remember the restaurant. We were going somewhere fancy. Then we were going to Crown Center and, and watching a play. And we were excited about, we're going to go to the game. And as soon as the game's over, we're going to jump in the car with her boss, Gary, whose son, Jim, played on the same team. And, and we were going to run down. We were going to be a little late to the dinner, but we were going to go. And I loved it because you went into the restaurant. Normally I, I open up a menu and, and I, 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 I look two, two things. I, I see what they have and I see the price. And sometimes I see what I want, but I see the price and then I go down to something that, the price matches my my want. I love going to that bank dinner because I don't care about the price. In, in fact, if anything, sometimes I look at the price. I don't really like lobster, but it's the most expensive thing. I think I'll have lobster. No, I. Well, I, I kind of did that, but not not lobster. Uh, but oh, I love it. You go and anything you want, and really, that they, Gary would say that. Just get what you want. When the the, the game was over. Derek, you'll know this, and you parents of, of uh, this year's team, you'll, you'll understand exactly what I'm saying. When the game was over, our plan was to jump in the car, change clothes, and drive to Kansas City. But instead, we jumped in the car and drove to Godfather's Pizza. Because that's where all the players and the parents were going after the game. And, 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 and we blew off. We, we blew off a free meal, and we blew off the plate. Because we wanted to hang out with the team and with the, the other parents. And you know what we did? Lace, I bet you you hear this every Saturday morning or late Friday night. We relived the game. We talked about what had happened. Oh, we talk, Did you see that pass that John made in the third quarter? Man, that was an amazing pass. Did you see Jim bowl over the the the, uh, the center and make that tackle for a loss? Did you, and, and this literally, we did have this kind Did you see Caleb get that 15-yard unsportsmanlike? penalty that that's my son uh, that happens when you get mad and slam the football down <laughs> apparently and the penalty was called by a friend of mine uh, but so we we relived the game and, and it was great now now there's nothing wrong with reliving <clears throat> in fact if if you look back we we mentioned this a couple weeks ago when they came back when the the disciples came back to jesus one of the things they did was they talked about what had happened they came back and they were telling their stories. So they were reliving what had happened. The Old Testament is ripe with examples 
of God calling His people to relive. There's the, 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 the festival of the Passover, the feast of the Passover. Passover is all about remembering. Remember that Jesus, the death angel passed over because he put the blood of the Lamb. The Feast of the Tabernacles is a time to remember wandering in the desert, but God was still there. In fact, we'll do that here a little bit later. We do it every Sunday in our service. We have a time where we remember. We take the cup and the cracker and we remember the body and the blood of Jesus. So Jesus and God's Word is ripe with examples of us remembering. But there's sometimes where remembering is not what you need to do. Jesus might also have been tempted to retreat. Uh, the reality is sometimes once we find ourselves in the middle of something good, we find ourselves retreating. Uh, Mark, Mark uh, the, the Mark chapter, and if you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Kings chapter 18. Back in the Old Testament, a uh, few books in, uh, six, seven books in, 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. And I'll kind of point out a couple verses and tell the story. You probably remember this story. It's a story about Elijah. Elijah went from, uh, from having one of the most miraculous highs. I mean, he could not have been more excited. He could not have felt more, more driven to, to, to be in the ministry of, of God. He could not have felt more, uh, more uh, having God's power in his life than, than what he did in in uh, chapter 18 of the book of 1 Kings. What we see there, first of all, we, we see there that he was facing a challenge. Look at verse 21. Elijah went up before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? Now what was going on was uh, in Israel, they had turned away from God and they were, uh, they were worshiping the Baals. And so God had, had told Ahab, the king, there's not going to be any rain. I'm going to call a drought and it won't rain again until Elijah says it's going to rain. And so there was a drought in the land. And so Elijah had sent word to Ahab, meet me on Mount Carmel and bring all of your prophets. So they brought 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asheroth, and they met there on Mount Carmel. So all the people were there. And this is what, what Elijah said. How long will you waver between two, two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Now notice what it says at the end of verse 21. But the people said nothing. Man. Elijah was preaching his heart out. Elijah was was serving God, and his audience said nothing. Man, he said, "Decide today." And and that passage, <laughs> they they didn't say anything. They just they just sat there and looked. At him. Man, how discouraging must have been. But but let's see what happens. He, he goes on and he uh, and he challenges. Uh, the prophets of Baal. They they build an altar. They put a uh, they put a bull on it, and the prophets of Baal pray that their God will send down fire to consume the altar. If you know the story, nothing happens. They they pray and they pray for hours. They call on their their gods, and nothing happens. Elijah stand off the side, making fun of them and laughing at them, and nothing happens. They get they start fighting one another, and they tear up their altar. And, and when it's all done, Elijah said, "Okay, my turn." And he rebuilds the altar, and he puts his sacrifice on it. He digs a trench around it. Then they take 12 big old jugs of water and dump it on the altar so that it fills up the trench. And then Elijah prays and fire comes down from heaven. And, and I like how it describes it, just so we, 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 we have no misunderstanding, just so Elijah doesn't miss the point. The fire was so intense that it burnt the altar, it burnt the rocks, it burnt the dirt, 
and it totally evaporated all the water in the trench. God sent a, an inferno to wipe out the, the, the altar, to destroy it, to it was from him. So that happens, and Elijah, uh, uh, Elijah suddenly has the people's attention. And uh, he basically says, okay, go get them. And they, they herd up all the prophets, and they, they actually kill all the prophets, the false prophets there. And, and, and Elijah must be feeling pretty good. But then, God has told him that there's going to come rain. So, so we see in the past, have your, your Bibles there, look at verses 38 and 39. Uh, well, I, I got ahead of myself. Let's, let's go down to verse uh, 41, 42. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink. There will be a sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down on the ground and put his face between his knees. So what happens is Elijah goes up and he, and he prostrates himself, puts his head between his knees. And I almost envision him putting his hands over his head. And, and he says to his, his servant, Go look out to the west. Are there any clouds? And his servant comes back. No, there's nothing. Just blue sky. And then he says, go look again. And he does and comes back. No blue sky. Does it seven times. At the end of the seventh time, he says, well, I see, I see a little cloud. And that cloud turns into a big cloud. And it turns into a thunderstorm. And then the rain starts, the, the rain starts falling down. Uh, if you have a Bible, look in verse, um, uh, 44, the seventh time. His sermon reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now look at verse, uh, verse 46. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. So here's what had happened. Elijah had fire down. It consumed the altar. Elijah had prayed that there would be rain. A thunderstorm comes. I can imagine Elijah standing there as the rain's pouring down on him. Man, this is wonderful. Then God says, go to Jezreel. And, and, and somehow the power of the Lord came on, on, uh, on Elijah. And he ran faster than he had ever ran before. I know it was Jim Ryan. Was it Jim Ryan that broke the four minute mile? Uh, a good Kansas guy. Uh, Elijah actually broke it for him because he ran so fast that he outran the, the horse and chariot of Ahab and beat him there. Power came on on him. and it, Can you imagine his excitement? Can you imagine the sense of joy? Can you imagine the sense of accomplishment that Elijah had? He was on the high of highs in his ministry. Look at chapter 19, starting verse 3. Elijah was afraid. Just a couple verses later, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. I've, uh, I've talked to minister after minister. I've talked to believer after believer who've gone from extreme highs, extreme victory, Extreme rejoicing to sitting under a broom tree saying, God, take my life. Uh, how did he go from seeing God's power in the fire, seeing God's power in sending the thunderstorm, seeing God's power personally so that he was able to run with unbelievable... How did he go from that to, 
there's basically saying, God, I'm a failure. My grandpa was a failure. My dad was a failure. And now I'm a failure. How did, how did he go from there to there? Two simple things. First of all, fear. As I read in verse 3, it said he was afraid. What happened was Jezebel, Ahab's wife, who was the real power in the in that marriage, uh, Jezebel said basically to, uh, to uh, Elijah, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. So you couple fear with forget, forgetfulness. He, he was afraid and he forgot about God. He was afraid and he forgot that God had consumed the, with fire. He, he was afraid and he forgot that, that God had answered the prayer to end the drought. He was afraid and he forgot that God gave personal power. He was afraid and forgot. Jesus had to fight the temptation to retreat in fear. To, to, to get scared. To feel like he was overcome with the responsibility um, and, and turn his back. Satan often, often attacks us when we're at our best and whispers in our ear to bring fear into our life. There, there was a temptation, but there also was a teaching mo- moment. That's, that's why this story is included. The, the Greek word for rest there is the Greek word anapuo. And, and it doesn't mean sleep. So when, when he said early on, hey, let's go to a solitary place for rest, he wasn't talking, hey, let's go there and take a nap. Let's go there and good, get a good night's rest. Instead, what it really means is rest. It's the same word that's used in, in Matthew chapter 11. Verse 28, where Jesus says this, Come to me all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Without spiritual rest and rejuvenation, Jesus could have been tempted. He could have been tempted to keep on teaching to the point that he got burnt out. He could have, he could have been tempted to relive the, the moment so much so that he began to take pride in himself. Or, or he could have been tempted to retreat, to say, man, the pressure, the people are always wanting something from me, and, and run away from that. So what's the application? How does that really hit us? It, it teaches us something about Jesus and, and consequently at the same time, it teaches us something about ourselves. See, the, the, the reality is Jesus was both God and man in the flesh. I wish I could explain the Trinity. I wish I could explain how Jesus, when he came, could be fully human, could be just like me and yet still God in the flesh. And there was a constant tension between that that holy nature and that that human nature, we, we see it in this story. His holy nature, uh, he fed the five thousand. He broke the loaves and and it fed a bunch of people. Uh, his his human nature was he needed rest. His godly nature was he walked on water, but his human nature was he literally walked there. He didn't just snap his fingers and show up in the middle lake. He walked there. It tells us who Jesus was, and Jesus was. Was, was in a position where he purposely limited himself to be human. So much so that he needed rest. He needed his spirit rejuvenated. A few weeks ago, or probably a month ago, my, my daughter was here. And uh, on Saturday uh, of that weekend, I was playing basketball with my grandson, Devin. Devin's 10 years old, about this tall. So we were playing playing basketball in the backyard. Now, now, I'm getting pretty old, and I don't move nearly as well as I used to. Um, but if I wanted to, I could have, I, I could have skunked him. I, I could have not let him score. I'd even give him the ball. Devin, take the ball. 
and and I outweigh him by oh at least thirty pounds. Uh, I mean a hundred and uh, almost two hundred thirty no, hundred fifty pounds or so. I outweigh. If I wanted to, I could have the first time he tried to shoot, just do this, block the ball, get it, and, and then all I had to do was dribble in, just I had to bump him a little bit, shoot a layup, make it, take it, go back, do it again, make it, take it. I, I mean, I could have skunked him if I'd wanted to. And there's part of me that wanted to, uh, but but I didn't. You know what I did? I I let him dribble past me a couple times and, and made some. And instead of driving in, shooting layup, I shot a couple fifteen footers and you know made like one out of four or something. But I made a couple of them. And, and every time we got close, I would I, I would change from letting him score to blocking a shot <laughs> so I could go back up by a cup. I'm still competitive. I'm still going to beat him. I beat him. I mean, I'm not going to let him win. But that's right, isn't it, Derek? That's okay. Yeah, be competitive. Because uh, within a year or two, he's going to be beating me. And uh, but but the truth was, I went from from limiting my uh, abilities as they were to to letting him be something else, to to being you know taller than him and heavier than him. I don't I don't know how to explain it. That's what Jesus did. And and the reality is, here here really is the application. Here's where we're going to take and run. If Jesus, if Jesus needed rest for his soul, if Jesus got to points where he just had to shut down and he had to stop and he had to go up on a mountainside by himself and, and the way he chose rest was to pray, if Jesus needed rest, don't we? Now rest, and we could do a whole sermon series on what that is. It, for you, rest might be walking out in, in the woods looking for mushrooms. Rest might be going sitting by a lake and opening up scriptures and reading some psalms. For me, oftentimes rest is being right here. You know, I find rest for my soul when I'm in God's house, and, and that, that should be true for, for you as well. But, but we need rest. I, this story is in here not so that we're wow, Jesus walked on water, but but we're wow, Jesus needed rest. Man, if he does, so do I. Let me, I know I'm going along here. Let me go quickly with the second point. His disciples needed rescue. Needed rest. The second half of this, needed rest. he sent them out and the wind started blowing and, and, uh, I don't know what time, eight o'clock at night when he sent them on their way and three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, they're, they're only about halfway across the lake, three and a half miles across the lake. And Jesus, when he finished praying, looks out and he sees them. Now I imagine he used his uh, Superman X-ray Jesus vision to see them out there and realize that they're struggling. But but he saw that they were struggling. Uh, now catch this. Jesus had said, guys, get in the boat and go the other side. Th- there might have been questions. Why, Jesus? Why don't we stay here with you? Uh, th- there might have been, well, when are you going to show up? Are you? Go- what are we supposed to do when we get it? We just wait and you show up? What's going there probably were questions, but ultimately they ended up obeyed. Jesus said, get in the boat, go over to Bethsaida, and so they did it. They were obeying Jesus, and about halfway into their obedience, they are struggling. Halfway into arriving where they were supposed to go, then they are beating their heads against the wall. Jesus rescued the disciples, first of all, from the dilemma. Man, what are we going to do? We're out here for several several hours. Have you ever felt that God has called you? I feel the Spirit of the Lord speaking to you, saying, go here, do this.
take this responsibility. You ever feel like the Lord has said, hey, teach this class or, or lead this, this project or, or, or seek out this person to, to be a blessing to him? You ever felt God has called you that and about halfway in, you feel like you're just beating your head against the wall? Man, I'm teaching this class, but man, no one's listening. I'm heading this project, but no one shows up to the meetings, or no one has passion about it, or I'm reaching out to this person. Man, it doesn't even seem like they hear a word that I'm saying. Have you ever felt like God's called you to something, and about halfway in, you're like, where are you, Lord? One of the things we learn from this passage is that Jesus, we see Jesus saw them, and he went to them. Let me point this out, that in the midst, in the midst of our journeys for him, Jesus is always there. He he rescued them from their dilemma. The scripture literally says that he walked out and uh, and after they saw him, he got in the boat and the wind died down. Now, now note this real quick, just kind of application. Uh, they still had to finish the journey. Jesus was with them. They didn't just magically appear at Bethsaida. They still had to finish the, the journey. When When Jesus calls you to serve, when Jesus calls you to a mission, there may be times you feel like you're beating your head against the wall. He's there. And there, there will be times that he'll come and, and he'll relieve the pressure. But you still have to finish the job. Jesus also rescued them from their doubt. Uh, it says in the passage that they saw, they saw Jesus. And, and I find this weird. They saw him and they thought he was a ghost. Now, I don't know if Jesus had disguised him some way. Maybe it was dark and they, I don't know. I guess seeing a guy walk on the water would kind of scare you. But they thought he was a ghost. Isn't it, isn't it odd that they, they hadn't been encouraging one another? They had, they had seen Jesus raise people from the dead. Jairus' daughter, we talked about that last week. They'd, they'd seen Jesus touch a guy's left hand to be clean. They'd, they'd seen Jesus break the loaves and, and feed five. They'd seen all these miracles of Jesus. They'd seen Jesus one other time on the lake stop the storm when they thought they were going they'd seen all this stuff. Don't you think they would have been, instead of scared, they would have been, there he is. Don't you think they would have been encouraged with one another? Man, I know it's we're having a hard time, but he's going to show up any minute now. I just know Jesus is going to, is going to come. Shouldn't they have been encouraging each other with, with that instead of scared? Miguel Flores works for Costas for Cristo. He's a Mexican pastor in Juarez. And uh, he also works part or full-time for Costas. So, so when groups are there, so like this summer when our group is in Mexico, we'll, we'll meet Miguel because he's the guy that, that drives around and makes sure you have plenty of material. So if you're missing some uh, sheetrock, he'll come with a couple sheets of sheetrock. If you're missing some nails, he'll show up with a box full of nails. And, and that's what he does for Costas. He told a story recently of, uh, of how he ended up helping out with one of the builds. And, and so he was there laboring with people day in and day out. And at the end of the build, the, the pastor of this family was supposed to show up for the dedication, but didn't show. So Miguel ended up doing the process. It's not a big deal, but but basically just dedicating the house to them and 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 kind of talking about what what God has done through them. And and he said in, in talking to the family, preparing for the dedication, he found out that this family weren't believers. They they weren't Christians. And and so he began to talk to them about Jesus, and began to talk about you know the house was a an example of people who loved Jesus serving them and. And and they accepted Christ right there. He said, the odd thing was, I was there working and serving the Lord. 
And I never once thought about Jesus showing up to meet the need of someone spiritually. I'm, I'm working for Jesus, but he said I was surprised when the opportunity came to talk to them about Jesus. How odd that his disciples, how odd that his disciples were surprised when Jesus showed up. He rescued them from their doubt and he also rescued them from their darkness. He says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed in the boat with them, the wind died down, and they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. Sometimes Jesus rescues us from our darkness. That even though we've seen him, our eyes are darkened to realize that he's there. Jesus walked on the water to them. And they didn't recognize him. How often does Jesus show up in our lives? And yet we still end up being amazed that he did. Let me, let me close with this. I, I share with you a, a, a personal application of this. Jesus has shown up in, in Reed and I's life so many different times. And, and, and it's amazing to see how, how things are orchestrated by God. And and yet even more amazing is, is how easily I forget and how easily I'm darkened and, and throw up my hands. God, where are you? When, when a, seven, eight years ago we left the ministry at Rushville, we, we really had no idea what was going to go on. I didn't, I didn't have a job. I didn't know what, what I was going to do. And, and, and I met a guy in a Sunday school class that was there that Sunday. He used to attend church at Central, wasn't anymore, but came to Sunday school one day, got talking to him. Uh, a few months later, he became my boss. And so for six years, I, I worked for him. And, and what's even more amazing is that I was hired to do a job that I had no qualifications to do, a job that required a lot of a, a mechanical building. Uh, I can change oil in my car, and that's about it. You know, I, I, I can, I can uh, take a wrench and, and, and put a screw in, a ca- or a bolt in occasionally, but... I had no mechanical ability, no real computer computer ability. And that's the two things this job required. And yet, I got hired to do a job that I was totally unqualified for. And I'll tell you, there are times on that job where, where, where I just felt overwhelmed. Like, God, why am I here? I don't know what I'm doing. I, I remember walking into a job a couple of years ago in, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, South Dakota, Norberg Paint Company. Uh, I'd went up to do a job that was going to be simple. I was going to do that job, come home. It was Friday afternoon. The week was going to be over. It's going to be great. We get a phone call. Hey, they've got a machine down at Norberg. I walk in, and this machine was doing weird stuff. Every time they turned it on, it would blow a fuse. And I, when you get into electrical stuff, man, that just freaked me out. And I'm sitting there looking. I think, there's no way I'm going to figure this out. And I remember stepping back and just... <laughs> Saying, Lord, I want to get home tonight. I don't want to have to spend the night in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I don't want to have to spend my, my weekend in South Dakota. And I remember just simply, Lord, show up. And he did. I made one phone call and a guy said, another text, well, try this. One simple little thing. And when I unplugged that wire, I found out there was one little motor that was messing the whole system up when I unplug that, it worked. I, 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 a few months ago, we, 
we thought God was leading us, a little over a year ago, God was leading us to pastor at another church. And man, we were excited, but boy, we were crushed when it didn't work out. But I really think God was preparing us for here. Man, see, God shows up all the time. And yet, almost on a weekly basis, I, I, I hit moments where I'm like, God, where are you? That's what these disciples did. Man, Jesus saw their dilemma. He realized they needed rescuing. Church, why is this story in there? Because Jesus needed rest. Boy, if he needs rest, we need rest for our soul. Why is this story in here? Because Jesus rescues his disciples. You may feel like you're, you're lost. You may feel like you're struggling, but he is there. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, thank you this morning that we can learn from uh, your word, we can learn lessons of great value. And even though this story seems to be a story about a miracle of Jesus walking on the water, the the real story, the real value is, is to learn that that we need you, that we need to set set aside time, that we need to seek your face, that we need to be rejuvenated and restored just like Jesus was. Father, we learn here that you're always there. Uh, even if we feel like those disciples that you're not around, Father, you show up always in the nick of time, and climb in the boat with us and give us strength. Father, help us remember uh, that you're there. In Jesus' name, amen.